If you remember back um, to the beginning of chapter 2 in our study of 1 Thessalonians, we saw that Paul has these critics who are going around slandering him to the Thessalonian believers here. They're saying things to the believers like, Paul only cares about money, or he's only uh, in this to get a group of followers. He's looking to help people to um, respect him. He's looking for followers. He's looking for position. He's looking for respect. He's looking to be someone of importance. He's using you, Thessalonian believers, for what he can get out of you. He doesn't care anything about you. And the evidence of that is, is the fact that he's left you and you haven't heard from him since he's left. We know the story about Paul and what's going on. Every city he goes to, these people come in, they're slandering Paul. Paul preaches the gospel. People repent, put their faith in Christ. And then Paul leaves, but he leaves because people are running him out of town because he's preaching the gospel. And so these people are sort of turning that story on Paul and saying, look, he doesn't care anything about you because if he did... He wouldn't come and just leave. So Paul is addressing that today. And that's what we're going to be looking at in our text. He's telling the Thessalonians that he loves them. He wants to be with them. That even while he's been away from them, he's tried and tried to get back to them. And there are reasons why he can't do that. There's reasons why he's not being able to do that. He's telling them that even though I can't be with you, I want to express this great love for you. I I want you to know about this love that I have for you. I want you to know that I'm concerned for you. I want you to understand what my motives really are in my ministry to you. See, they've been given all these wrong motives that Paul has while he's coming and minister to them. He says, oh no, here's what you really need to understand about me. That's what he's doing in this passage here. He's showing his love for these Christians. And in the course of telling the Thessalonians that he loves them, here's what you and I are have a tendency to think sometimes when we read this passage, this is Paul, he's the Apostle Paul, he's sort of like a pastor, a preacher that um, goes on these mission trips and he goes into these cities and he preaches the gospel, he's a leader in, in the church and of course, Paul being a pastor and apostle, he's supposed to love people, agreed? Yes, your pastor should love the people that he's been given to, to shepherd and sometimes we see this as only being applicable to Paul. And what I want us to understand today, Paul shows us these things that are very important in living our life, waiting on Jesus to come for us. And while we're waiting for Jesus to come, here's some things that we're to be doing as His people. If you'll remember, this theme, I told you, shows up time and time again. In every chapter of Thessalonians, Paul talks about the return of Christ. And as he talks about Jesus coming back, he says... We know that's taking, going, going to come in the future for the believer. So here's how we're to live our lives as believers while we're waiting for Jesus to come back. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And what I want you to think here is it not just the Apostle Paul that this is applicable to, but it's applicable to all believers in the church to have this attitude that Paul had toward these believers here. All of us are to have the same attitude toward all believers within the church, the body of Christ that we've been placed into. This is our attitude that we're to have toward one another. So the main idea we're going to see today is loving other believers. Loving other believers. Now let me give you an outline here. In verses 17 through 18, here's what we see. We see the Christians longing for other believers. The Christians longing. For other believers, and in verses 19 through 20, we see the Christians' hope for other believers. The Christians' hope for other believers. So let's look at verses 17 through 18, and we see the Christians' concern for other believers. 
Notice I said the Christian's concern. I'm making this applicable to us as individual believers in the body of Christ, particular the body of Christ here at Redbud. Notice what he says. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, notice Paul's attitude here. We endeavored the more eagerly with a great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but notice what happened there. Satan hindered him. Notice that Paul refers to these Thessalonians as brothers, right? You and I have a tendency on Sunday mornings and when we greet one another out as believers, we call each other what? Brothers. Brother Evan, Brother Billy, Sister Sue, Sister Deborah. We refer to one another as brother or sister. This term is always used as a sign of love for other believers. Did you know that? When I greet you on Sunday morning, if you greet me, we call one another brother or sister. It's a term of affection. A term of, I love you in Christ. It's a term of endearment that expresses a heartfelt affection for another believer. So the next time you greet one another, you call one another brother, there's something special going on. And you have this bond as people in Christ. And by using the word, Paul was refuting these claims of these accusers that he didn't care for the Thessalonians. And he was showing that, in fact, he was just the opposite of those who were accusing him. You remember the... The, the Jews were the particular people who were following Paul around and accusing him of these things. What was it the Jews were doing? They were coming in behind Paul and they were hindering people from what? Hearing the gospel. Remember we talked about that. That's a pretty serious thing to be doing. Hindering people from hearing the gospel. And Paul says, you know, look at my life. It's just the opposite of those Jews who are accusing me of doing these things. If you'll remember back to chapter 2 verse 16. As I said, these Jews were hindering Gentiles from hearing the gospel. So look at verse 17 there. He's, he started out by calling them brothers. He's, he's establishing something here. But notice what he says. We were torn away from you. Now remember, he's been accused of just packing his bags during the middle of the night and leaving these people hanging. He cares nothing about them. But notice Paul's words. We were torn away from you. Paul tells the Thessalonians, I didn't want to leave you. But he's been actually taken away. That phrase torn away has the idea of a child who's been orphaned by his deceased parents. That's a pretty serious wording that Paul's using there. Paul's describing his psychological state as a result of this separation. He says, I was torn away from you. It's like children who have been orphaned from their parents. Remember back to chapter 2 and verse 7. Look there with me. Paul likens himself to what there. In chapter 2, verse 7, a what? A nursing mother. Then notice in verse 11, what is he locking himself to? In verse 11, a father with his children. Paul is not by accident using these words. Like a father and like a mother. He says, I was actually torn away from you. It's as if we were separated from one another as, as a family. He's saying a mother and father would never desert their children. What Paul is showing the Thessalonians is how greatly he cares for them. How greatly he cares for them. Look at it again at verse 17. He says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, notice what he says, for a short time, but not in heart. Paul says the separation has only been for a short time. Nevertheless, he has a longing in his heart to do what? To be back with these folks. You know the old saying, absence makes the heart grow what? Fonder. There was a longing. 
that did not simply come with emotion that just comes through friendship or socializing, but it came from a sense of responsibility for the spiritual welfare of these people. Paul says, I was torn away from you. It's like you were my children and I'm your father or mother and we have been separated. Notice that although Paul has been taken away in person, notice what he says here. He could not be taken away from these believers where? In his heart. In other words, they were still in Paul's thoughts and his prayers. Their spiritual needs were a burden to Paul's heart. The Thessalonians were torn away. They were orphaned from Paul in person, but not where? In his heart. Some of you moms and dads, you go off on trips and you go on vacations. You're away from your children in person, but there's something going on in here, right? You want to get back home to those babies. And that's the way Paul had this idea with the Thessalonians. I've been torn away from you in person, but in my heart, I greatly care for you. You're in my thoughts and prayers constantly. I'm constantly concerned about your spiritual welfare. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, listen to him as he writes to the church at Corinth. He says, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul had a constant concern and love for the church and for the individual believers that made up every single congregation he had a part with. The constant concern and love assured the Thessalonians that Paul's time spent with them was not for his own personal gain, but it was for their personal gain. Paul's motives for ministry were concern and love for these Thessalonians. Look with me again at verse 17. I read over this verse time and time and time again this week. Notice what he says. Now, let me set this up. Paul's being accused of not caring for people, right? But notice words, Paul's words here. He chooses them very carefully. Look at verse 17. He said, We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to do what? See you face to face. Notice the wording. Endeavored, more eagerly, great desire. Does that sound like someone that doesn't care about people? Paul had a longing to be back with these believers. The word endeavor means to make haste or to exert oneself to the point of being exhausted. Then he says more eagerly. It means with a greater, higher degree. And then he says with great desire. It means having a craving or a longing, a strong desire or a passion. What was Paul endeavoring to do more eagerly and with a great desire? Notice what it says. To see you what? Face to face. That term, seeing one's face, means to come in close communication with someone. It doesn't necessarily mean getting up in their face, but it had the idea of close communication. Paul wanted to do what? He wanted to be back with these people. These were believers. These were people that he dearly loved. Brothers and sisters in Christ. He was separated from them, and he had a longing and a desire to be back with them. With all of these words combined, the idea is that Paul was... I found this interesting as I studied this. It has the idea that Paul was short of breath. Not really short of breath, but all these words combined together gives you the picture of a person who's short of breath. They've exhausted themselves with eagerness to get back to other believers. Keep those thoughts in mind as we go on here. You're thinking now, what? I don't get it. Just hold on. We'll get there. Paul was saying, contrary to what these critics were saying, that Paul and the others wanted to leave with no desire ever to return. He's saying... That's not the case. Paul wanted to return and see these believers. And how did he want to see them? Face to face. There was some intimate communication that needed to go on between him and these other believers. 
They didn't want to renew close, intimate fellowship. And what we're seeing here is language, I think, that's unmistakable. If you read this carefully, you can't mistake what Paul's saying. It was not for a lack of serious, heartfelt effort that Paul didn't return to the Thessalonians. Paul, in the context of explaining why he hasn't come back, has said, I wanted to come back. Notice what he says there. I wanted to come back. In fact, I have tried over and over again. But what happened? Notice what it says in verse 18. What caused him not to be able to come back? Satan hindered us. Paul is saying he wanted to come back to see the Thessalonians, but Satan hindered him. Now, most of you, if you're like me and you read that, the first question that pops in your mind is, how did Satan do that? Right? If you're like any normal human being, you're wanting to know, what did, what did he do? How did Satan do that? Now, I studied that this week, read several commentaries on that, and there's a long list of suggestions of how Satan could have done that. And I know you're sitting here going, please don't go through all those things. I'm going to, I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm not going to do that today. However, I do have some idea of what I think it might be, but to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know how he hindered him. And I think it's best when you don't know to say, I don't know, instead of speculating. I don't know how Satan hindered Paul from coming back to the Thessalonians, but Paul is actually aware of what? The fact that Satan is the reason he can't get back to these believers. Satan has hindered him. Now you and I need to think about that. Because Paul doesn't drop that idea. Look down to chapter 3 and verse 5. He's worried. He's away from these believers and he's worried that the same tempter that has hindered him quite possibly could be in their presence hindering them as well. Notice what he says. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I've come to the point, I've been trying to get back to you and it's just not happening. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. In other words, Paul is concerned that Satan is not only opposing his ability to come to these believers at Thessalonica, but Satan is attempting to undermine and oppose these believers themselves. Now you may be going, okay, what does that have to do with us in the church today? Let me, just a quick review. Paul has what? A longing, an eager desire to see these believers. He loves them dearly. He hasn't been able to get back because Satan is hindering him. And he's he's not worried about himself, but he's worried about who? Other believers. The fact that they may be struggling with Satan hindering them as well. Now, you and I not only deal with, as believers, with the world and the culture enticing us to sin, as well as our own tendency to sin, right? We struggle with that. We have to deal with this thing called... The devil. Alright? There's a being in this world that is older than humanity that has a design to destroy the people of God. And he's always been there. Paul believes this, so he writes about it. Now, I want to stop here and make something perfectly clear. Um, I remember my early uh, years growing up in church. Uh, we used to have what you call testimony time. You, you've been there and seen that happen? And I remember the church when I was growing up as a boy. I remember one particular lady, um, she gave a testimony every week. I was okay with that. But it seemed like every week 
Satan has done this to me, and Satan has done this to me. And I remember the preacher saying one Sunday, he said, all you need is a saddle put on you, and you'd be a good horse for the devil to ride. Now, agree, Satan hinders us, but listen, people, we don't need to put a saddle on our back and tell Satan to climb on. That's the point I'm making here. But we do deal with the devil. There's a real evil in this world, and we've got to factor that into our thinking. However, that does not give us an excuse to do what? The devil made me do it. Y'all remember that? Some of you here remember, remember that show? Some of you are nodding your head. Some of you are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. The Bible never dismisses our responsibility and allows us to blame Satan. We always have to look at our own hearts. We, we're responsible to look at the sin in our lives. But we also must be reminded and remember that Satan wants to do what? To destroy us. And that means we can't fight him, how? With flesh and blood. You and I are no match for the devil. Martin Luther. Most of you here are familiar with Martin Luther, famous uh, preacher in the Reformation. He wrote a hymn called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. If you don't know that song, I highly recommend you learn it. A beautiful song. Listen to his words. Now, you've got to understand it's written... In the 1500s, so there's some words here that you're going to go, what does that mean? He, he says, For still our ancient foe, that's Satan, does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. It says he's armed with cruel hate. He hates the people of God, and on earth is none his equal. You and I are no match for Satan. Martin Luther believed in Satan. He knew that you and I don't have the power to resist him. And yet Martin Luther tells us where our power comes from to defeat Satan. Listen to what he says. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be. Jesus Christ. It is He. His name from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. We have Jesus who died to free us from the bondage and the power of sin and free us also from Satan. We also have the Holy Spirit of God living in us to help us live the Christian life. So how do we fight Satan? We can't fight him in our own strength, right? We have to rely on spiritual weapons. We rely on this, the Word of God, And we rely on prayer. The Holy Spirit of God working through the Word of God and through prayer to defeat Satan. The amount of time spent in this and prayer will determine to the existence you can resist the temptations of Satan in your life. You stay away from this and Satan will defeat you every time. Let me say this as well. We also need one another to fight Satan. This is where I think we can apply what Paul's saying to our lives. We need the church, folks. We need one another, the people of God, to help us fight the temptations of Satan. If you think you can live the Christian life in isolation from the church, you're going to lose the battle to Satan every time. That's why God gave us the institution of the church, that we could come together as believers and encourage and edify one another to keep the faith and walk worthy of the gospel. It's so important to remember that our marriages and in our families and in our relationships, it's not just the natural stresses that come with our personal relationships that threaten to destroy us. Satan works to hinder, to oppose, and to tempt us, and we must rely 
on the spiritual weapons that God has given us in His Word and prayer, and we must rely on other believers. I've been saying this for several weeks now. How important other believers in the church is to our lives. And here's how I want to make application to this. Do you have a longing for other believers? Do you have a longing for other believers? Do you remember Paul's longing? He endeavored more eagerly, had a great desire to do what? Be with these people. Do you have a longing for other believers? Do you have a desire to be with other believers? Do we have a desire to be gathering with other believers on Sunday morning to encourage one another to stand firm in the faith? You know, I asked myself that question this week. And I know you're going to go, well, you're the pastor. That's what you're supposed to think. You know, about Thursday or Friday, I begin to think, man, Sunday's coming, and I'm going to get to see the people of God. I'm going to get to gather with the people of God, and I'm going to get to worship. I have a a desire and, and an eagerness to be here with the people of God. My question for you is, do you endeavor eagerly with a great desire to be here on Sunday morning to fulfill your role in the lives of other people? Do you eagerly gather on Sunday mornings knowing that as we worship together, as we pray together, as we sing together, as we hear God's Word together, we're saying to one another that we, the church, the people of God, we gather together for the purpose of helping one another walk worthy of the gospel. Do you look at Sunday morning as an opportunity to come together with the people of God and worship together so that that time together is used by God to strengthen you in your walk for Christ? Do you look at Sunday mornings in that fashion? Do you ever give a thought to the idea that there are other opportunities outside of Sunday mornings to encourage one another? Now don't get me wrong. Sunday mornings are very important to your spiritual growth. Being with other believers. But there are other opportunities. Do you endeavor eagerly with a great desire to maybe have someone or have some one-on-one personal time with another believer to help you stand firm in the faith? Do you have a desire for that? Do you and I see the need to be involved in one another's lives outside of these corporate gatherings? Do you see the need to come alongside another believer and help them fight Satan? There may be someone that you know in this very congregation that's being beaten up by the cares of this life, by sin in their life and Satan hindering them, they need someone to come alongside them and to encourage them to keep the faith. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. But listen, people out here are hurting. And you're sitting here today, and I've had conversations. There are people who used to come who don't come anymore. We don't know all the reasons why. You know what? We're responsible to come alongside them and to encourage them. If they're believers, we are to be there. We to be listen. We're to be like Paul. We're to be endeavoring eagerly, tracking them down. Why? What's going on in your life? I'm here to help you as a brother in Christ. Is there something going on in your life that you're not walking worthy of the faith anymore? Do you see how we can apply that? Paul longed to be with these people to encourage them in their faith. You see what he was being accused of? People leave. They don't come anymore. So we don't care about them because we don't go after them. Are we going to be like Paul? Are we going to, have an, are we going to endeavor? Are we going to be more eagerly with a greater desire to find out why the people of God are no longer coming together and worship with the people of God? And those of us who are here today who struggle in... Here's what I want to encourage you. 
We know that people in our congregations are struggling with things in their life. They're being beaten up by life and Satan is hindering them. As believers, we're to come alongside them knowing that they're struggling and just put an arm around them and say, you know, I love you. Can I help you walk through this time in your life? Is there something going on in your life that I can pray with you about, that I can help you walk through this time in your life? Listen, folks. If the people of God don't do that, forgive my bad English, ain't nobody going to do it. Is that right? If the people of God don't do it, nobody's going to do it. Let's love our brothers and have a longing and our sisters in Christ to come alongside them, to encourage them in the faith and find out what's going on. We love you. We haven't seen you in a while. What's going on in your life? How can I help you? Share your life with me. You share your life with them. I was talking with some folks this week, and this comes up in conversations all the time. You and I get so busy, right? We plug every day up with something to do, and we don't factor in any time to have anybody in our lives that may be struggling we can share our lives with. I'm guilty of that as much as anyone else. I look at my schedule and go, there's, there's, not, a, there's not a time period in my day when I don't have something going on that if someone came into my life and said, I would have to put something aside to make time for someone. And that's, and that's wrong as the people of God. Well, in verses 17 through 18, we saw the Christians longing for other believers. Now look at verses 19 and 20. And we see the Christians hope for other believers. He says, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? And I love this. Is it not you? For you are our glory Enjoy. Paul here in these verses explains what's in it for him as well as what's in it for these believers. Paul had people who were saying, what? Paul didn't care. He's in it for the money. He just wants to have his name and recognition. And Paul says, you want to know what I'm in it for? I'm in it for you. You, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I do what I do because of you. Paul has this picture in mind. And notice what he says here. What's the picture? The Lord Jesus has come and Paul is doing what? His boast, his reward, his crown is what? You before the Lord Jesus Christ. You with the Lord Jesus. You safe at home with Jesus on the day of his return. Paul pictures the perfection of all believers. Have you ever given thought to that? That is the church, you and I are looking for Jesus to come, and our heart's desire is to see everyone what? When Jesus comes, there that day, perfected believers on the day of Christ's return. Paul asked the Thessalonians, who is the object of his hope in the promised future? Is it not you? He asked the question, who's the source of his joy? Who's the source of his eternal joy and satisfaction? Is it not You. He asked, who is the crown of boasting? It's you. Paul says, my motivation for ministry is you one day before the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your pastor? That's my joy and my crown is to encourage you that one day we all stand together before the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's my reward. God, here's the people you gave me. Here's my joy. Here's my crown, God. These people perfect before the Lord Jesus Christ when He's returned. But listen, it's not just my response. All you have that responsibility. You should have that longing and desire for all believers to stand perfect before the Lord one day. 
It's not all about me, Paul says, but it's all about you. Y'all have heard me say this before. Who's our three favorite people in the world? Me, myself, and I. Paul tells us that his anticipation for the future was the assurance that he would be in the presence of Jesus, but a crucial element of his joy at the return of Jesus is that he would see all these people that was in his ministry there on that day. Paul tells the Thessalonians, that makes me do what I do. It's not about me, but it's about you. That's what makes me work night and day. That's what causes me to bear the anxieties and the persecution that comes my way. My motivation for ministry is to get to that day when you are safe at home with Jesus. That's what I'm in it for. You're my reward. Safe at home with Jesus. Paul says, that's all the reward I want. I just want them safe at home with Jesus. That's what I'm in it for. It's all about you. Let's make some application here. I think there's, a, there's an idea that's extremely important for us as believers. Are you the type of Christian who will be willing to pour your life into others so they can get to that day? Are you someone who's willing to pour your life into someone else so they can get to that day? Are you willing to be one of those Christians who gives themselves to others in order to encourage believers to stay faithful, to stay on the course? Paul said, that's my hope, that's my crown, that's my glory, that's my joy, is to get you safe at home with Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about the fact you're going to keep someone from losing their salvation. That can't happen. What you're saying to fellow Christians is, stay faithful, my brother. Fight the fight of sin. Don't give up. Because look ahead at what's waiting for you and I. You know, sometimes we have to come alongside other believers because we're sheep, right? And we're what? Y'all helped me out last week. We're what? A sheep? We're... Y'all don't want to say it this week. You want to make me say it. We're, we're dumb and we need to be reminded. I was sharing yesterday that I got a couple of friends who are pastors. And I call them on a pretty regular basis. And they have to say, Gary, what about the gospel? What about Jesus? And what about the return of Christ? It's like... I know that, but I forget it sometimes. And I have to be reminded. We have to come alongside one another's believers and say, what about that day, Billy? What about that day, Everett? Keep the faith, my brother. Keep the faith. Keep fighting sin and keep fighting Satan. Because on that day, you and I will stand before the Lord and we'll get to say, it was all about you. It's all about you before the Lord Jesus Christ. What we need to remember is that these believers at Thessalonica were suffering. Remember we talked about how they were suffering because of their what? Hold on the gospel. They were trusting in the gospel and they were suffering for that. Paul wanted these believers to be rooted and grounded in the faith. That's what you as a Christian want for other believers, is it not? Rooted and grounded in the faith. That's what you want your ministry in this church to be like. You want to share life with other believers so you can strengthen, establish, encourage them in the faith to stay in the gospel. Some of you have made comments to me that you've never heard this phrase that I keep using sometimes, preach the gospel to yourselves. I have to do that, but you know what? I need other people to come alongside me and do that for me. And you're saying, isn't it so simple just to remember the gospel? Yes, but that's why we're called what? 
sheep. We forget. Christian, you're to live life in light of the return of Christ. And you're to do that as Paul is doing here. You're to have a concern for other believers by longing to be with them. To care for their spiritual well-being. To share life with them. And you're to live life until Jesus comes by looking forward to when you see those believers safe at home with Christ. Let's pray.